Hello and welcome back to another episode of A Cozy Christmas Podcast. And Merry Christmas, everyone. It is Christmas Eve or pretty close to it by the time this episode drops. And I just want to take a quick minute to thank everyone for making this the best year of podcasting I've had. It's been a lot of fun. I've found new listeners and your involvement in the podcast this year has just been extremely gratifying. So this will be the last episode before Christmas and I have one more planned for the week between Christmas and New Year's. Maybe another one if I have time, but I really want to make sure I'm giving some time over for my family. Uh, We've had kind of a long year and a rough year and I really want to be able to slow down a bit and relax and rest and celebrate with them. So today's episode, I have a story I'm going to read to you and talk a little bit about why Christmas is important to me and the impact that that has on my own uh, religious beliefs. And I, you know, I know not everyone who celebrates Christmas does so from that religious point of view. And, and to me, that's what's great about Christmas, that people of all faith or, or no faith can find something to celebrate during this time of year and it means something different for probably for everyone one of the things i want to talk about more perhaps in the new year it's something i've been thinking about this year off and on and then i had a listener ask me about if i had plans to talk more about the religious significance of christmas and 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 like i said I, i do i have plans today to talk about it I might talk about it a bit more this coming year in 2023. If you'd like to hear more about my thoughts on the religious significance, I did have an episode out around Easter, I believe it was this past year, where I read some of the uh, writings of Charles Dickens in his book, um, The Life of Our Lord. And I read his uh, Easter account, or at least I read the account of of Christ's birth. Uh, I can't remember which selections I've read now from that book, but I'll make sure to link those episodes in the show notes so you can find them easier. But I, I think one of them is called an East, The Easter Carol by Charles Dickens. But for me personally, as a Christian, Christmas does hold a significant religious aspect to it. And when it comes down to it, for me, if it weren't for for Jesus, there really wouldn't be a Christmas. You know, we might have a winter celebration, but to me, celebrating it with Christ as its center brings a deeper and more profound level uh, for me than, than without it. And yeah, I, you know, I talk about Santa and I talk about presents and going to the North Pole and wouldn't that be great if we could and different things, you know, and to me, that's part of what makes Christmas fun. You know, that I, I really feel like, at least personally, I can balance the two quite well, that there's a, a fun aspect to it and that there's, you know, the stories and traditions and foods and movie and music and all of that. But then at its heart, out of all of this is my faith in Jesus that really had a, tr- um, a, a profound impact and change in my life. 
And I believe, as I mentioned in my last episode, that I don't talk about it a lot on the podcast because I want to keep the audience I reach a little more general. I don't want to speak specifically to Christians. I I kind of want to speak to people of all traditions, perhaps even all faiths. You know, that's the purpose of what I'm doing here. I'm not setting out to evangelize or to convert people to my points of view. In fact, I, I, I loved hearing from other people who believe differently than me. It's helped me to to think differently. It's helped me to think deeper about some things and really to come to a lot of conclusions about why I believe what I believe and what that ought to look like in my life. Hopefully I'm making sense. And after I read the story, I think it will help you understand a little bit better what I'm trying to say in all this. But, you know, I've mentioned how it really seems like Christians these days, well, people calling themselves Christians have kind of taken over that title and are using it for their own purposes, whether it be for political gain or financial gain. And, you know, I try not to get too political on here. If you'll bear with me for a moment, I know you're not supposed to talk politics at Christmas time, but I think this is important right now because some of the messages that are coming from some of the Christian politicians are a message that I don't agree with and as well a message that is very anti-Christmas to me. Uh, you know, I, I The Christmas Carol is one of the most profoundly impacting books I've ever read and I think the message that Scrooge writes or uh, Dickens writes about is a message we need to listen to, you know, especially that scene with the children of, of ignorance and want. Uh, I, I think carries a tremendous message for our world today. Uh, like I said, I, I don't want to get into the politics, but at its heart, first and foremost, you know, I am a Christian, and so what does that mean? Well, I found the story by Leo Tolstoy that I'm going to read to you today. It is a, a bit more religious than what I normally read, but I believe the message in it is one that is very necessary for our world. And the story is called, Where Love Is, There God Is Also. And uh, the version I'm going to read is found on the Gutenberg uh, website. And it's translated from the Russian by Nathan Haskell Dole. And this particular edition was published in 1887. And you might have seen different translations of this story. It's called Also Where Love Is, God Is. You might see it published as Martin the Cobbler. And I'm going to butcher some of these uh, Russian names. So uh, apologies to any listeners I might have in Russia. But... I wanted to read the story because I think to me, this is what Christianity ought to look like. It's a story set at Christmas time that promotes loving others and that when we love others, we are showing our love for God and we are showing our love for Christ. What better message is there at Christmas time than the message of loving one another? You know, in a Christmas carol, that's uh, one of the things I think of uh, Fred, his nephew, uh, Scrooge's nephew, points out is that we need to 
remember that we are fellow passengers to the grave, you know, that we have to have that care for one another and, you know, lift our eyes to that star in Bethlehem. I guess in the end, what I hope people know about me is that I loved God and that I loved them. No matter who they are, no matter what they believe, no matter how they identify, you know, I want you to know that I want to take that spirit of Christmas, that God loved us and demonstrate that in the way I live and interact with others. I think it's a message that a lot of churches and a lot of Christians are forgetting these days as, as I said, that um, Christianity, at least how I see that it ought to be done, is being co-opted and overtaken by a political agenda that I have a lot of problems with. All right, so enough ranting about that. Uh, I, I I hope that that doesn't take away from the cozy atmosphere of this of this podcast. But I I really love this story. It is so charming and 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 just carries a very very clear and powerful message about the importance of love and loving one another. So this is a great story for Christmas Eve. I hope you are able to sit down and take a few minutes to rest and to enjoy this story. If you have a moment, I want to invite you to sit down here by the Christmas fire and I'll read to you, Where Love Is, There God Is Also by Leo Tolstoy. In the city lived the shoemaker, Martin Avdiich. He lived in a basement in a little room with one window. The window looked out on the street. Through the window, he used to watch the people passing by. Although only their feet could be seen, yet by the boots, Martin Avdiich recognized the people. Martin had lived long in one place and had many acquaintances. Few pairs of boots in his district had not been in his hands once and again. Some he would half-sole, some he would patch, some he would stitch around, and occasionally he would also put on new uppers. And through the window he often recognized his work. Martin had plenty to do, because he was a faithful workman, used good material, did not make exorbitant charges, and kept his word. If it was possible for him to finish an order by a certain time, he would accept it. Otherwise, he would not deceive you, he would tell you so beforehand. And all knew Avdiich, and he was never out of work. Avdiich had always been a good man, but as he grew old, he began to think more about his soul and get nearer to God. Martin's wife had died when he was still living with his master. His wife left him a boy three years old. None of their other children had lived. All the eldest had died in childhood. Martin at first intended to send his little son to his sister in the village, but afterward he felt sorry for him. He thought to himself, It will be hard for my Kapitoshka to live in a strange family. I shall keep him with me. And Avdiich left his master and went into lodgings with his little son. But God gave Avdiich no luck with his children. 
As Kapitoshka grew older, he began to help his father and would have been a delight to him. But a sickness fell on him. He went to bed, suffered a week, and died. Martin buried his son and fell into despair. So deep was this despair that he began to complain of God. Martin fell into such a melancholy state that more than once he prayed to God for death and reproached God because he had not taken him, who was an old man, instead of his beloved only son. Avdiich also ceased to go to church. And once a little old man from the same district came from Troista to see Avdiich. For seven years he had been wandering about. Avdiich talked with him and began to complain about his sorrows. I have no desire to live any longer, he said. I only wish I was dead. That is all I pray God for. I am a man without anything to hope for now. And the little old man said to him, You don't talk right, Martin. We must not judge God's doings. The world moves not by our skill, but by God's will. God decreed for your son to die, for you to live. So it is for the best, and you are in despair because you wish to live for your own happiness. But what shall one live for? asked Martin. And the little old man said, We must live for God, Martin. He gives you life, and for his sake you must live. When you begin to live for him, you will not grieve over anything, and all will seem easy to you. Martin kept silent for a moment and then said, But how can one live for God? And the little old man said, Christ has taught us how to live for God. You know how to read? Buy a testament and read it. There you will learn how to live for God. Everything is explained there. And these words kindled a fire in Avdiech's heart. And he went that very same day, bought a New Testament in large print, and began to read. At first, Avdiech intended to read only on holidays. But as he began to read, it so cheered his soul that he used to read every day. At times he would become so absorbed in reading that all the kerosene in the lamp would burn out, and still he could not tear himself away. And so Avdiech used to read every evening. And the more he read, the clearer he understood what God wanted of him and how one should live for God, and his heart kept growing easier and easier. Formerly, when he lay down to sleep, he used to sigh and groan and always thought of his kapitashka, and now his only exclamation was, Glory to thee, glory to thee, Lord, thy will be done. And from that time, Avdiech's whole life was changed. And other days, he, too, used to drop into a public house as a holiday amusement to drink a cup of tea, and he was not averse to a little brandy, either. He would take a drink with some acquaintance and leave the saloon, not intoxicated, exactly, yet in a happy frame of mind, and inclined it to talk nonsense and shout and use abusive language at a person. Now he left off that sort of thing. His life became quiet and joyful. In the morning, he would sit down to work, finish his allotted task, then take the little lamp from the hook, put it on the table, get his book from the shelf, open it, and sit down to read. And the more he read, the more he understood, and the brighter and happier it grew in his heart. Once it happened that Martin read till late into the night. He was reading the Gospel of Luke. 
he was reading over the sixth chapter, and he was reading the verses. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. He read farther also these verses, where God speaks. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me, and heareth my sayings, and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house, and digged deep, and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house, and could not shake it. For it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Avdiich read these words, and joy filled his soul. He took off his spectacles, put them down on the book, leaned his elbows on the table, and became lost in thought. And he began to measure his life by these words. And he thought to himself, Is my house built on the rock or on the sand? Tis well if on the rock. It is so easy when you are alone by yourself. It seems as if you had done everything as God commands. But when you forget yourself, you sin again. Yet I shall still struggle on. It is very good. Help me, Lord. Thus ran his thoughts. He wanted to go to bed, but he felt loath to tear himself away from the book. And he began to read farther into the seventh chapter. He read about the centurion. He read about the widow's son. He read about the answer given to John's disciples. And finally, he came to that place where the rich Pharisee desired the Lord to sit at meat with him. And he read how the woman that was a sinner anointed his feet and washed them with her tears, and how he forgave her. He reached the forty-fourth verse and began to read. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. He finished reading these verses and thought to himself, Thou gavest me no water for my feet, thou gavest me no kiss, my head with oil thou didst not anoint. And again Avdiech took off his spectacles, put them down on the book, and again he became lost in thought. It seems that Pharisee must have been such a man as I am. I too, apparently, have thought only of myself, how I might have my tea, be warm and comfortable but never to think about my guest. He thought about himself, but there was not the least care taken of the guest. And who was his guest? The Lord himself. If he had come to me, should I have done the same way? Avdiich rested his head upon both his arms and did not notice that he fell asleep. Martin suddenly seemed to sound in his ears. Martin started from his sleep. Who is here? He turned around, glanced toward the door no one. Again he fell into a doze. Suddenly he plainly heard, Martin, oh Martin, look tomorrow on the street. I am coming. Martin awoke, rose from the chair, began to rub his eyes. 
He himself could not tell whether he heard th those words in his dream or in reality. He turned down his lamp and went to bed. At daybreak next morning, Avdiyich rose, made his prayer to God, lighted the stove, put on the shchi in the kasha, put the water in the samovar, put on his apron, and sat down by the window to work. And while he was working, he kept thinking about all that had happened the day before. It seemed to him at one moment that it was a dream, and now he had really heard a voice. Well, he said to himself, such things have been. Martin was sitting by the window and looking out more than he was working. When anyone passed by in boots, which he did not know, he would bend down, look out of the window, in order to see not only the feet, but also the face. The Dvornik passed by in new felt boots. The water carrier passed by. And there came up to the window an old soldier of Nicholas's time in an old pair of laced felt boots with a shovel in his hands. Avdiyich recognized him by his felt boots. The old man's name was Stefanich, and a neighboring merchant out of charity gave him a home with him. He was required to assist the Dvornik. Stefanich began to shovel away the snow from in front of Avdiyich's window. Avdiyich glanced at him and took up his work again. Pshah, I must be getting crazy in my old age, said Avdiyich and laughed at himself. Stefanich is clearing away the snow, and I imagine that Christ is coming to see me. I was entirely out of my mind, old dotard that I am. Avdiyich sewed about a dozen stitches and then felt impelled to look through the window again. He looked out again through the window and saw that Stefanich had leaned his shovel against the wall and was warming himself and resting. He was an old, broken-down man. Evidently, he had not strength enough even to shovel the snow. Avdiyich said to himself, I will give him some tea. By the way, the samovar has only just gone out. And Avdiyich laid down his awl, rose from his seat, put the samovar on the table, poured out the tea, and tapped with his finger at the glass. Stefanich turned around and came to the window. Avdiyich beckoned to him and went to open the door. Come in, warm yourself a little, he said. You must be cold. Oh, may Christ reward you for this. My bones ache, said Stefanich. Stefanich came in and shook off the snow, tried to wipe his feet so as not to soil the floor, but staggered. Don't trouble to wipe your feet. I will clean it up myself. We are used to such things. Come in and sit down, said Avdiyich. Here, drink a cup of tea. And Avdiyich lifted two glasses and handed one to his guest, while he himself poured his tea into a saucer and began to blow it. Stefanich finished drinking his glass of tea, turned the glass upside down, put the half-eaten lump of sugar on it, and began to express his thanks. But it was evident he wanted some more. Have some more, said Avdiyich, filling both his own glass and his guest's. Avdiyich drank his tea, but from time to time glanced out into the street. Are you expecting anyone? asked his guest. Am I expecting anyone? I am ashamed even to tell whom I expect. I am and I am not expecting someone, but one word has kindled a fire in my heart. Whether it is a dream or something else, I do not know. Don't you see, brother? I was reading yesterday the gospel about Christ, the Batyushka, how he suffered, how he walked on the earth. I suppose you have heard about it. Indeed, I have, replied Stefanich, but we are people in darkness. We can't read. 
Well, now, I was reading about that very thing, how he walked on the earth. I read, you know, how he came to the Pharisee, and the Pharisee did not treat him hospitably. Well, and so, my brother, I was reading yesterday about this very thing, and was thinking to myself how he did not receive Christ, the Batyushka, with honor. Suppose, for example, he should come to me or anyone else, I said to myself. I should not even know how to receive him. And he gave him no reception at all. Well, while I was thus thinking, I fell asleep, brother, and I heard someone call me by name. I got up. The voice, just as if someone whispered, said, Be on the watch. I shall come tomorrow. And this happened twice. Well, would you believe it? It got into my head. I scolded myself, and yet I am expecting him, the Batyushka. Stefanich shook his head and said nothing. He finished drinking his glass of tea and put it on the side. But Evdyich picked up the glass again and filled it once more. Drink some more for your good health. You see, I have an idea that, when the Batyushka went about on this earth, he disdained no one and had more to do with the simple people. He always went to see the simple people. He picked out his disciples more from among folk like sinners as we are from the working class. Said he, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who is humbled shall become exalted. Said he, you call me Lord, and said he, I wash your feet. Whoever wishes, said he, to be the first, the same shall be a servant to all. Because, said he, blessed are the poor, the humble, the kind, the generous. And Stefanich forgot about his tea. He was an old man and easily moved to tears. He was listening and the tears rolled down his face. Come now, have some more tea, said Avdyich. But Stefanich made the sign of the cross, thanked him, turned down his glass, and arose. Thanks to you, he said, Martin Avdyich, for treating me kindly and satisfying me, soul and body. You are welcome. Come in again. Always glad to see a friend, said Avdyich. Stefanich departed, and Martin poured out the rest of the tea, drank it up, put away the dishes, and sat down again by the window to work, to stitch on a patch. He kept stitching away, and at the same time looking through the window. He was expecting Christ, and was all the while thinking of him and his deeds, and his head was filled with the different speeches of Christ. Two soldiers passed by, one wore boots furnished by the crown, and the other one boots that he had made. Then the master of the next house passed by in shining galoshes, then a baker with a basket passed by, all passed by, and now there came also by the window a woman in woolen stockings and rustic bashmaks on her feet. She passed by the window and stood still near the window case. Avdyich looked up at her from the window and saw it was a stranger, a woman poorly clad, and with a child. She was standing by the wall with her back to the wind, trying to wrap up the child, and she had nothing to wrap it up in. The woman was dressed in shabby summer clothes, and from behind the frame, Avdyich could hear the child crying and the woman trying to pacify it, but she was not able to pacify it. Avdyich got up, went to the door, ascended the steps, and cried, My good woman! Hey, my good woman! The woman heard him and turned around. Why are you standing in the cold with the child? Come into my room where it is warm. You can manage it better. Here, this way. The woman was astonished. She saw an old, old man in an apron with spectacles on his nose, calling her to him. 
She followed him. They descended the steps and entered the room. The old man led the woman to his bed. There, says he, sit down, my good woman, nearer to the stove. You can get warm and nurse the, the little one. I have no milk for him. I myself have not eaten anything since morning, said the woman. But nevertheless, she took the baby to her breast. Avdyich shook his head, went to the table, brought out the bread in a dish, opened the oven door, poured into the dish some cabbage soup, took out the pot with the gruel, but it was not cooked as yet, so he filled the dish with shchi only and put it on the table. He got the bread, took the towel down from the hook, and spread it upon the table. Sit down, he says, and eat, my good woman, and I will mind the little one. You see, I once had children of my own. I know how to handle them. The woman crossed herself, sat down at the table, and began to eat, while Avdyich took a seat on the bed near the infant. Avdyich kept smacking and smacking to it with his lips, but it was a poor kind of smacking, for he had no teeth. The little one kept on crying, and it occurred to Avdyich to threaten the little one with his finger. He waved his finger right before the child's mouth and hastily withdrew it. He did not put it to his mouth because his finger was black and soiled with wax. And the little one looked at his finger and became quiet. Then it began to smile, and Avdyich also was glad. While the woman was eating, she told who she was and whither she was going. Said she, I am a soldier's wife. It is now seven months since they sent my husband away off and no tidings. I lived out as cook. The baby was born. No one cared to keep me with a child. This is the third month that I have been struggling along without a place. I ate up all I had. I wanted to engage as a wet nurse. No one would take me. I was too thin, they say. I have just been to the merchant's wife, where lives a young woman I know, and so they promised to take us in. I thought that was the end of it, but she told me to come next week, and she lives a long way off. I got tired out, and it tired him too, my heart's darling. Fortunately, our landlady takes pity on us for the sake of Christ, and gives us a room, else I don't know how I should manage to get along. Avdyich sighed and said, Haven't you any warm clothes? Now is the time, friend, to wear warm clothes. But yesterday, I pawned my last shawl for a twenty kopeck piece. The woman came to the bed and took the child, and Avdyich rose, went to the partition, rummaged round, and succeeded in finding an old coat. Nay, says he, it is a poor thing, yet you may turn it to some use. The woman looked at the coat and looked at the old man. She took the coat and burst into tears, and Avdyich turned away his head. Crawling under the bed, he pushed out a little trunk, rummaged in it, and sat down again opposite the woman. And the woman said, May Christ bless you, little grandfather. He must have sent me to your window. My little baby would have frozen to death. When I started out it was warm, but now it has grown cold, and he, the Batyushka, led you to look through the window and take pity on me, an unfortunate. Avdyich smiled and said, Indeed he did that. I have been looking through the window, my good woman, for some wise reason. And Martin told the soldier's wife his dream, and how he heard the voice, how the Lord promised to come and see him that day. All things are possible, said the woman. She rose, put on the coat, wrapped up her little child in it, and as she started to take leave, she thanked Avdyich again. Take this, for Christ's sake, said Avdyich, 
giving her a 20 kopeck piece, redeem your shawl. She made the sign of the cross, and Avdiyach made the sign of the cross and went with her to the door. The woman went away. Avdiyach ate some shchi, washed the dishes, and sat down again to work. While he was working, he still remembered the window. When the window grew darker, he immediately looked out to see who was passing by. Acquaintances passed by, and strangers passed by, and there was nothing out of the ordinary. But here, Avdiyach saw that an old apple woman had stopped in front of his window. She carried a basket with apples. Only a few were left, as she had evidently sold them nearly all out, and over her shoulder she had a bag full of chips. She must have gathered them up in some new building and was on her way home. One could see that the bag was heavy on her shoulder. She tried to shift it to the other shoulder, so she lowered the bag on the sidewalk, stood the basket with the apples on a little post, and began to shake down the splinters in the bag. And while she was shaking her bag, a little boy in a torn cap came along, picked up an apple from the basket, and was about to make his escape. But the old woman noticed it, turned around, and caught the youngster by his sleeve. The, the little boy began to struggle, tried to tear himself away, but the old woman grasped him with both hands, knocked off his cap, and caught him by the hair. The little boy was screaming, the old woman was scolding. Avdiyach lost no time in putting away his all. He threw it upon the floor, sprang to the door, he even stumbled on the stairs and dropped his spectacles, and rushed out into the street. The old woman was pulling the youngster by his hair, and was scolding and threatening to take him to the policeman. The youngster was defending himself and denying the charge. I did not take it, he said. What are you licking me for? Let me go. Avdiyach tried to separate them. He took the boy by his arm and said, Let him go, Babushka. Forgive him, for Christ's sake. I will forgive him so that he won't forget it till the new broom grows. I am going to take that little villain to the police. Avdiyach began to entreat the old woman. Let him go, Babushka, he said. He will never do it again. Let him go, for Christ's sake. The old woman let him loose. The boy started to run, but Avdiyach kept him back. Ask the babushka's forgiveness, he said, and don't you ever do it again. I saw you take the apple. The boy burst into tears and began to ask forgiveness. There now, that's right, and here's an apple for you. And Avdiyach took an apple from the basket and gave it to the boy. I will pay you for it, babushka, he said to the old woman. You ruin them that way, the good-for-nothings, said the old woman. He ought to be treated so that he would remember it for a whole week. Ah, Babushka, Babushka, said Avdiyach. That is right according to our judgment, but not according to God's. If he is to be whipped for an apple, then what ought to be done to us for our sins? The old woman was silent, and Avdiyach told her the parable of the master who forgave a debtor all that he owed him and how the debtor went and began to choke one who owed him. The old woman listened, and the boy stood listening. God has commanded us to forgive, said Avdiyach, else we too may not be forgiven. All should be forgiven, and the thoughtless especially. The old woman shook her head and sighed. That's so, said she, but the trouble is that they are very much spoiled. Then we who are older must teach them said Avdiyach. That's just what I say, remarked the old woman. I myself had seven of them. Only one daughter is left. And the old woman began to relate where and how she lived with her daughter and how many grandchildren she had. Here, 
she says. My strength is only so-so, and yet I have to work. I pity the youngsters, my grandchildren, but what nice children they are. No one gives me such a welcome as they do. Aksinka won't go to anyone but me. Babushka, dear Babushka, loveliest. And the old woman grew quite sentimental. Of course, it is a childish trick. God be with him, said she, pointing to the boy. The woman was just about to lift the bag on her shoulder when the boy ran up and said, Let me carry it, Babushka. It is on my way. The old woman nodded her head and put the bag on the boy's back, and side by side they passed along the street. And the old woman even forgot to ask Avdiich to pay for the apple. Avdiich stood motionless and kept gazing after them, and he heard them talking all the time as they walked away. After Avdiich saw them disappear, he returned to his room. He found his eyeglasses on the stairs. They were not broken. He picked up his awl and sat down to work again. After working a little while, it grew darker, so that he could not see to sew. He saw the lamplighter passing by to light the street lamps. It must be time to make a light, he said to himself. So he got his little lamp ready, hung it up, and he took himself again to his work. He had one boot already finished. He turned it around, looked at it. Well done. He put away his tools, swept off the cuttings, cleared off the bristles and ends, took the lamp, set it on the table, and took down the gospels from the shelf. He intended to open the book at the very place where he had yesterday put a piece of leather as a mark, but it happened to open at another place. In the moment Avdiyich opened the testament, he recollected last night's dream. And as soon as he remembered it, it seemed as if he heard someone stepping about behind him. Avdiyich looked around and saw, there, in the dark corner, it seemed as if people were standing. He was at a loss to know who they were, and a voice whispered in his ear, Martin, ah, oh, Martin, did you not recognize me? Who? exclaimed Avdiyich. Me, repeated the voice. It was I. And Stefanich stepped forth from the dark corner. He smiled and like a little cloud faded away and soon vanished. And it was I, said the voice. From the dark corner stepped forth the woman with her child. The woman smiled, the child laughed, and they also vanished. And it was I, continued the voice. Both the old woman and the boy with the apple stepped forward. Both smiled and vanished. Avdiyich's soul rejoiced. He crossed himself, put on his spectacles, and began to read the evangelists where it happened to open. On the upper part of the page he read, For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. And on the lower part of the page he read this, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. St. Matthew chapter 25 And Avdiyich understood that his dream had not deceived him, that the Savior really called on him that day, and that he really received him. And that was Where Love Is, There God Is Also by Leo Tolstoy. I first read that story a year or two ago and then I just recently read it this past week uh, while I've been reading through a collection of classic Christmas short stories. 
And for whatever reason, it really made an impact on me this time around than the first time that I read it. And I keep comparing the story to A Christmas Carol. And I almost imagine that this is what Scrooge's life could have been like after he changed. That he kept his eyes open to look around to see those who were in need, especially those in his own window, as it were. You know, those, uh, Bob Cratchit and his family, uh, the, the people who came into his business looking for donations to charity are just two of the people that Scrooge interacted with at the end of the story to help make their life better. I love the, what Martin demonstrates here. I, I imagine the story took place at Christmas time. It's definitely, uh, it's considered a Christmas story. I don't know a lot about Tolstoy, about what he believed, his political viewpoints, his religious thoughts. Uh, I've done a little bit of reading about him, but not very much. And the part of the story that strikes me is the way that Martin showed love to those in need. He had gone through a very difficult time. You know, he lost his wife, he lost his children, he had one child left, and then that child also died. No bones about it, that's hard. That can make you bitter and angry. But instead, he turned to God, he read scripture, and he let God change him. So there's a couple of interactions that really mean a lot to me that you know, the, the, the first interaction with Stefanich, you know, inviting him in and just sharing a cup of warm tea. It's a simple kindness that you and I can do, you know, go share a cup of coffee with somebody. And then when the, the woman with the child is in need, you know, he helps provide for her rather than tell her, oh, you should go get a job or, you know, providing you with food is, is going to um, spoil you he saw a need and he could meet the need in a very simple way. He gave what he had. It wasn't a lot, but it was something. You know, you give money to somebody on the street who's asking for help and you think, well, what are they going to use that money for? Are they going to go buy drugs, alcohol, whatever? Who knows? That's, that's on them. For me, what my Christian belief says is that when I see somebody in need and I'm able to help that person, that that's what I should do. And if I don't, I am not demonstrating the love of God. If we're going to err, let's err on the side of generosity. Now, what does all that have to do with Christmas? Well, for me, everything, because the Bible tells us that, that if we love God, then we will love others in the same way that God loved us. And God loved us enough that he sent Jesus uh, to this earth. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. At least that's what I celebrate at Christmas time. And that's what I love about this story is that Martin was showing love to others, even to that boy who stole an apple. You know, you, you could say on one hand, well, that boy didn't deserve to have love shown. He stole something. Yes, he did. But I think Martin understands there could have been a reason behind it. He was hungry. He was poor, whatever the case. And yes, the, the, the law, the judgment says he should be punished. But Martin shows him mercy and grace and love and says, you know, it will be okay. Let me buy it for him. And in the end, that boy learns a very valuable lesson in that he then serves the older woman by helping her carry her, uh, her, her weight, her 
her baggage. And boy, talk about some great illustrations there in allegory there in that story. And then Martin realizes that when, when God said, I will come and see you today, he, God did through those people that Martin was able to help. Yeah, so those are just some of my thoughts about Christmas. And I, I know they're kind of rambly. So I guess to try to summarize this all up here, I, and I, I don't mean to preach at you, I, I just wanted to encourage you to look, especially at this time of year, look out your window. Who do you see? Who is walking by who might be in need? They might need a word of encouragement. They might need time to have a cup of tea with you. They might need help getting presents for their family. They, they might need food. Rather than being quick to judge, let's be quick to love and welcome anyone into our life, whoever they are, whatever they believe, however they vote, however they identify themselves. Look at them as a person. We are, I believe, made in the image of God, and that is a profound calling and a sacred duty to treat others in that same way. Over the next couple of days, you can take a moment to lift your eyes to that star in Bethlehem. Remember what Marley said in A Christmas Carol. One of the things that tormented him is this thought. He said, why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise men to a poor abode? Were there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? Now, Marley understood a little too late that he had an opportunity to help people and didn't. And that is part of his eternal torment. Wow, that's heavy. So I want to encourage you again to lift your eyes to that blessed star. Let it lead you to someone and help them. Well, I hope that your Christmas will be wonderful beyond measure. I'll see you again a couple days after Christmas. I'll have a great interview with another mystery, cozy mystery writer. We'll have lots of fun with that. Again, just quickly, there are links and things in the show notes. Believe me when I say that it is my encouragement to you that we be kind to each other and that we do good. And let us remember to honor Christmas in our heart and try to keep it all the year. And so from me and my family to you and yours, I hope that you have the very merriest of Christmases and a happy new year. Take care.